Hello, my name is Larry Hiles. I'm the preaching minister at the Milford Church of Christ. Thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to this message. Please feel free to share it with friends. Also, if it's impacted your life in any way, reach out to us and let us know how. If you live in the Centerburg or Mount Vernon area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 3648 Johnstown Road in Centerburg, Ohio. We look forward to the opportunity of meeting you. If you have your Bibles with you, open them up and find John chapter 14. John chapter 14 uh, is where we're going to be around this area. So we're going to be around this area in John chapter 14. If it's your first Sunday with us, we started a series of messages a few weeks ago called Approaching the Cross. And the idea behind this series of messages was for us to spend the last few hours with Jesus before he indeed does go to the cross. The Gospel of John spends seven chapters uh, in this time frame. And so John, one of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus around for over three years, he writes this account of the life of Christ. And, and what I see in this account is that John is inviting us into his own journey. And as we're in his journey, we get to see the things that he sees and hears what he hears and, and hear what he hears. And it, it should equip us for uh, what's, what's ahead for us. Jesus had predicted multiple occasions that he was going to go away from them, both in what we've read before and what we're going to look at today. Uh, so what we're going to look at today, in, in John chapter 16, verse 16, a little while you will see me no longer, and a, a little while again you will see me. John 16, verse 20, truly, truly, I say that you will cry and lament, but the world will rejoice. Your so you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. So Jesus, knowing that his time on the earth was done, at least this initial part, before he would resurrect from the grave, knowing that and knowing the fear and that would be in the hearts of the disciples, he pulls them aside, right? He, he tells them what's coming up. He serves them. He uh, challenges them to love one another, to trust him. And, and he told them that they were even going to do greater works than he was going to do. And, and thinking through this, if you put yourselves in the position of the apostles at this time, this had to overwhelm them. Can't you at one time reading through these gospel accounts, especially right here in the gospel of John, can't you just at one time seeing one of the disciples saying, Lord, time out. You're, you're really freaking me out here. We, we got to slow down. You got to ex explain what's going on. So have you ever felt like you were drinking from a fire hydrant? I think that's what these guys had to feel like at this moment, Right. Uh, so uh, perhaps when you think about life, you're there right now, right? So uh, you, you come to church, you hear about a Christianity, you're investigating all of its claims, and you're not sure what to make of everything, and then you go to a Bible study or go somewhere else, and all this information is just thrown at you, and then you try to, to make sense of it all, and you hear people talking about eschatology and doctrinal purity and righteousness and sanctification and the law and the prophets, and, and you're thinking, man, I, I thought this was simple. Does Jesus have a word for you? I believe he does. Perhaps you've been a follower of Christ for a while, at least in name, right? You've done the Christian thing. You, you've prayed the prayer. You've received the right baptism. You, you have the general promise of God's word that because you believe in him, you won't die and go to hell. And so uh, there's questions that burn in your soul. And you know that there has to be more than this to this Christian life than, than what you've made it, right? And, and maybe even looking inside and thinking, gosh, am I truly living out the faith that I say I profess? Does Jesus have a word for you? I believe he does. I believe he does, just like he had for his disciples. Maybe you're taking a look around the world right now and you're wondering if there's any hope. Any hope. Because right? when we look around, man, things are messed up. Genders are being redefined. Right? And we have a president in the United States that openly declares that it should be sinful to withhold puberty-blocking drugs to, to young kids. Right? It's, it's Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, right before our very eyes. 
Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. I mean, this is the world we're living in. Is there any hope? And there is, and I believe Jesus has a few words this morning. I'm, I'm going to do something that I rarely do. We're going to skim through a large section of Scripture this morning, from John chapter 14 to John chapter 16, verse 33. It should only take us about three and a half hours, so... <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, no, it won't take us that long. So April's looking at me like, it better not take three and a half hours. <laughs> so uh, here's the reason why. Because I believe as you dig through this passage of Scripture in this area, there are three themes that Jesus keeps repeating over and over and over. And these three themes point to one promise uh, that we'll end with. And, and here's this first theme, like thinking about the one who loves Jesus, and we'll get these answers that we need from him in some of those areas that I talked about. The one who loves Jesus will obey him. The one who loves Jesus will obey him. John chapter 14, verse 15. And, and, and if it's in John, if these verses are in John 13 through 16. They won't be on the screen, but they are on the version app. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We ended last week's message with that verse. And, and as I mentioned last week, uh, I used to read those words with this accusatory tone from Jesus, right? Like Jesus was looking at me like, I know what you're doing. You don't love me. Because if you love me, you do what I say. Right? This isn't the manner in which Jesus is speaking here. As a matter of fact, this theme goes through all throughout this, this area. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. I'm going to skip a couple of verses ahead, Tom. Uh, John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you'll be abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What we have in these verses, if we'll allow them to be there, is really a self-examination. It's a test that we can take. We don't need to have a written test. We don't need to have anybody else grade us because the truth of the matter is, is that when we come to God's word and his word is declared to us, read to us, or we read it ourselves, we have within this an opportunity to ask some important questions. And the most important one is, is, do I love him? Do I love him? Before we answer that question, I think it's important to grasp this reality. The only reason that we can love God is that he first loved us. 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the covering for our sins. Why? Because God so loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, here's what we've got to grasp. We have sinned. We fall short of God's glory. We, like sheep, have all gone astray and there's nothing good in any of us. What I mean by good is that there's nothing good enough in any of us that we'll be able to one day stand before God and say, God, look at everything that I did. That's not why God loves us, right? Humanity has done everything possible to walk away from God, and yet God has still loved the world in such a way that he sent his one and only son to die for the sins of the world. What's your response when you realize just how much someone loves you? How do we typically respond to the people who love us? Think about that. Most of the time, we, we take the people who love us for granted, right? Like they're always going to be there, and, and, and everything's always going to be the same. After all, I mean, you love you, so why shouldn't they love you? And so, the, and then those people that are there, you just—they'll be there. They're always going to be there. So we take them for granted. The moment we realize just how unlovable we truly are, it changes everything. It changes the way we relate to people. 
It changes the way we relate to our spouses. It changes the way uh, that, that every aspect of our life changes. And, and for the purpose, you know, we think about love and, and what we do. When we love someone, when we love someone, it changes how we respond to everything about them. Everything. So we have rebelled. We've walked away. We've sinned. But God is love. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The only reason we can begin to talk about what's next is because God has first loved us. So Jesus, when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, we'll understand that that love back to him is an expression of the understanding of his love for us. So think about it this way. Uh, we understand this when it comes to relationships with our earthly parents, right? If we love our parents, we'll obey them. Uh, and, you know, we understand that now, especially as an adult. But think about the stages of obedience that you typically have with a parent, right? When you're a little kid, you obey out of fear, right? Maybe not so much today. Parenting today, I don't know. I'll keep my mouth shut there. Just say, I don't know. You know, so but when, you're, when you're a little kid, when I was a little kid and my dad said do something, if I didn't do it, I, I was going to get a whipping, right? So I obeyed out of fear. Uh, and so uh, pretty soon whippings didn't work any longer, right? And, and so then parents have to start to try to motivate you out of reward. If you'll do this, then you'll get your allowance. If you'll do this, then you can go uh, to your friend's house this weekend. If you do this, you can play baseball. And so that was the way my, my parents were able to get me to do certain things. To, uh, but then after that, really, it, there comes a time in your life that you no longer fear your parents, right? So you no longer fear them. They can't reward you anymore. So why do you obey them? As an adult, you go to mom's and mom or dad's house and they say, hey, I really need you to take out the trash for me. Are you going to do it because you're afraid of getting a whooping? No. Are you going to do it because they can reward you? No. You're going to take out the trash because you love them. It's, it's you love. So when we love God, we really obey and do what he says, right? And this is what Jesus declares. As a matter of fact, as, as we think back through some of the lessons that we've already had in this short series, Jesus has given us those examples. He says that we're going to, uh, we obey him by serving one another, right? By serving one another. We, we looked at that when he washed the disciples' feet. and He said, listen, I've given you an example that you should follow. As I, your teacher, have done, you should go and do also. Second, Jesus told them that they were going to get on mission with him, right? He said, you're going to do even greater works than I do. And with the disciples, there was this immediate expectation for them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and remember, these guys didn't get it. Jesus would resurrect from the grave. He'd spend 40 days with them, 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. And just before he ascended into heaven, before their eyes, he said these words. He said these words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the end of the earth. That mission given to them is carried out by the body of Christ today. So we've got to remember the mission of the body of Christ today is not to protect the past. It's not to condemn or glorify the present. It's to proclaim the gospel of grace to everyone we can. That's, if we love him, this is what we'll do. This is what we'll do. I keep asking the question, do you have that one person that you're praying for? Do you have that one person that you're willing to share the gospel with? Do you have that one person that you're willing to invite to church? Resurrection Sunday is coming up. 
And if statistics are true, most people are just waiting on an invitation to church. On Resurrection Sunday, I'm going to preach why the resurrection proves that God is faithful. Who can you invite to join us that day? The third thing Jesus said about loving him and obeying him is that that we'll love one another. That we'll love one another. We really exhausted a lot, put a lot of time in on that and, and read through a lot of verses like John 13, 34, and 35 when he said, a new commandment I give you, to love one another even as I have loved you. You're to love one another. And what's he say at the end of that? By this, by this, all men will know what? You're my disciples. So if we love him, these are, are things that we're going to do. These are ways that we're going to live. John 15, he says it again. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if what? What's it say? If you do what I command. If you do what I command. So often we play loosely with this idea of faith. We play loosely with this idea of where we, we even take scriptures, like there are scriptures that we know, like, right, it says you're saved by grace through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We get that, right? But, but we take those verses and we weaken what it means to truly love God, right? It, it takes more than this mental acknowledgement. It actually takes a willingness that what we say we believe here and what we say we feel here actually reaches these things, reaches this, and it reaches our feet as well. Do we really love him? Jesus said, if you love me, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Our love is seen in our obedience. Our preacher, you don't know how tough it is, though. You don't know how tough it is to obey what God has told me to do. You don't know how tough it is to love people in my life. You don't know how tough it is for me to do the right thing. I don't know how tough it is for you, but I know how tough it is for me. I'm reminded, if you flip over sometime this week to the end of the Gospel of John and read, I'm reminded of when Jesus met Peter and he restored him. Do you remember the question that he asked Peter? He said, do you love me more than these? And then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And so when I think about carrying out those commands to love God and love people, like Jesus declared the greatest commandment of all, when I think about that, it really has nothing to do with my love for anyone else. It has everything to do with my love for God. Because if I love Jesus the way I'm supposed to, then it becomes easy to carry out that love for other people. And and the one who loves, the one who loves Jesus will obey him. Second lesson here, the one who loves Jesus will receive the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So remember, Jesus gave this promise to them that he was going to send this, another advocate to be with them. We spoke about the Holy Spirit at great length last week. And we understand and know as we flip our pages and get into Acts chapter 2 that the apostles received the indwelling, the gift of the Holy Spirit when it came down upon them in the room while they were praying and they went outside and began to proclaim the gospel message to all that were there, 3,000 people baptized into Christ at that day and the church just grew from that point on. That's how they received that promise. What about you and I? How do we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit? Well, 
Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, after preaching the gospel to a, a group of people there, and the people ask, brothers, what shall we do? Some of your versions might say, what shall we do to be saved? And Peter declares, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Think about how important this is for these guys at this moment, right? Think about how important this is for us. God's word declares that we receive forgiveness of sins. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to spend more time on this next week in our weekend in the word. And I just want to say, if you've not yet submitted yourself to Christian baptism, please make sure you're here next week. I'm going to fill the baptistry up. And if you need to take that step, I hope you'll take that step next week. So please be here for that because it's an extremely important process for us as followers of Christ. And so, but thinking about this right here, he promises the Holy Spirit, and then he gives within this text a couple of, uh, of things the Holy Spirit would do. The Holy Spirit would remind them of all that Jesus taught. Look at verse 26 in chapter 14. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Think about how important this would be for these men. They would find themselves standing before proconsuls and religious leaders and political uh, figures proclaiming the gospel of Christ. They didn't have this thing to carry around with them like we do. Now, what they were going to need is the Holy Spirit to work within them to remind them, did you notice what Jesus said? Of everything that I have taught you, Right? And so the word we got to understand, we gotta, this is different for us as followers of Christ today. But the only way the Holy Spirit is going to pull anything out of us to remind us of what has been taught from the preaching of his word, from the reading of his word, and from the study of his word is if we've actually been in his word. The Holy Spirit's not going to pull out of us something that's not already in there from his word. We have to submit to his word. We have to read his word. We have to put the time in. I, I almost hate to admit this, what I'm about to admit to, admit to you all, because um, it's rather embarrassing. <laughs> so when I decided to be a bus driver many years ago, one of the things you have to do is you have to go down to the BMV and you have to take uh, the written test so that you can get a temporary license, right? And so I figured, man, I've been driving most of my life. I don't need to study some stupid book to take this test. So I showed up at the BMV one day, and I failed the test. I thought, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. So I showed up the next day, and I failed the test again. So I, I'm a slow learner. I'll show you how slow I am here in a moment. I showed up a third day, and I failed the test again. So I decided I better read the book. And I read the book, and I went back, and I passed the test. And so when I moved back to Ohio recently, and they said, well, we need a substitute bus driver. Do you want to do it? I, I found out I had to get my license again. And so I, I went to the BMV. And what do you think happened the first time I took the test again? <laughs> I failed it. See, the Holy Spirit's not going to put in you anything that you don't put in there yourself. Right? And uh, what's true of something as simple as taking a test for a license is also true of what God says. This stuff is so important. We've got to put it in. And once we put it in, the Spirit will bring it out. John, Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, 
more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Once again, I know he's talking to disciples, but the aspects of that are true for us. And here's what we've got to make this determination. If the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives in any way that supports and, and, and says that this word is true, are we going to obey? Russell and I the other night going over to the bean dinner. As soon as I got in the car, I picked him up from work and he rode over with me. And, and so we got a certain way and, the, and the, the GPS was telling me to go the wrong way. So I ignored it. And then we got down the road and the GPS again was telling me to go to... See, I've told you another story like this. I'm a slow learner. So the GPS was telling me to make this turn. I ignored it. And I even told Russell very confidently, I'm not listening to that thing. That thing can't make me listen to it. And, and so we get down the road and I get to a point where the way I was going, the road was closed. <laughs> if I'd have just obeyed the voice of that, I, I, I turned it into a man's voice because kind of jokingly, I said, I got a woman telling me what to do all the time, so my GPS is going to be a man's voice. <laughs> so uh, so I, I just, I didn't listen. So the Holy Spirit, he'll guide, right? He'll lead us into all truth. The Holy Spirit will also convict the world. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through these. I wish I had more time to, to spend on them. Verses 8 through 11, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and about judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now listen, did you see what he said? I, mean, I wish all of these could have been their own series, really, not just their own sermon. But did you, he said he had come, and it just depends upon the version of Scripture that you're reading, but the word convict is probably in some of your versions. It says the Holy Spirit would convict the world would convict those who are outside of Christ and specifically mentioning three things quickly because of sin. And what was it because? Because they wouldn't believe in him. They wouldn't believe in Jesus. I mean, that's the primary sin. Think about that, church. That's the Holy Spirit's job, that, that, to convict the world of sin. Then he says of righteousness. What's that mean? It, it means that those who are outside of Christ and are not living righteously will have a conscience that, are put, that is put in them, that the Holy Spirit would be that reminder to them that those things are wrong. And here's what happens in the world. The world often sears its conscience. And the more it turns itself over, open up to Romans chapter 1, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. The more people turn themselves over to sin, the more they don't realize that that's an unrighteous lifestyle. And then the third thing is because of judgment. So you think about this, you see right here, you have the Spirit uh, uh, stating its case, right? Showing you're guilty because you're not righteous and then giving judgment. Saying apart from Christ, there'll be judgment. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and what he'll do. And what he'll do. So, the one who loves Jesus will obey him, the one who loves Jesus will receive the Holy Spirit, and the one who loves Jesus will abide in him. Will abide in him. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he cleans, cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm in the vine, and 
I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. The the word abide means to remain. Jesus declared that he is the vine and the followers of Christ are to be the branches. And the only way that a branch can bear fruit is to remain in Christ. Remain in Christ. There's some scary words in this section. Did you see what he said would take place to the vine or the branch that doesn't bear fruit? Uh, the first thing that would take away is he said, take is that he would cleanse it, meaning that he would prune some things away so that it could produce fruit. And, and if that didn't work, uh, then that dried up branch would be gathered up and it would be cast into a fire. To abide in Christ means that you read and know his word. To abide in Christ means that you commit to worshiping with his church. To abide in Christ means that you submit to his will. And this requires, what this requires is a great amount of what? Faith. Of trust. Do you remember what he said to his disciples after washing their feet? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust. Trust God. Trust me. Things are about to get crazy, guys. Listen up. This is what's going to take place. And, and here's what we've got to grasp, as I've already kind of alluded to. Faith is more than mental acknowledgement that Jesus exists. Now, I would venture to say that every single person in this room believes that Jesus exists, existed because you would not be here at all, maybe to investigate the claims, but you at least think that there's a strong possibility that this guy Jesus lived. But it's more than acknowledging that. It's more than accepting the sacrifice on your behalf and doing little in response. Faith is more than claiming to be a member of the church. True faith, saving faith, enduring faith requires every ounce of who you are. Every ounce. Not just the minimum to get in. Not just the minimum to get the get out of hell free card. Every aspect. Oz Guinness, in his book, The Great Quest, wrote about a conversation between a European and a Mazai tribesman from Kenya about faith. The European used a certain word to define faith, but the Kenyan rejected it with a snort. The Mazai word the European used simply meant assent or agreement. He likened this inadequate word to a white hunter shooting an animal with his gun from a distance. Only his eyes and fingers took part in the act. True faith, the tribesman said, was wholehearted and could be pictured as a lion hunting. His nose and eyes picked up the prey. His legs give him the speed to catch it. All the power in his body is involved in the terrible death leap and a single blow to the neck with the front paw and the blow, the blow that actually kills. And as the animal goes down, the lion envelops it with its arms. Kenyon's referring to the front legs as arms pulls it to himself and makes it part of himself. This is the way the lion kills, and and this is a way, the Kenyan says, a man should have faith. Every aspect of who he is. So, So we can't say we're abiding in Christ and doing the bare minimum. And there's so many examples that we could pull out here, right? So many that we could grab a hold of. But to abide in Christ takes nothing less, nothing less, Nothing less than full surrender. Friends, how's the self-examination going? When Jesus says, do you, when he said to Peter, do you love me? 
And we look at these words when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So Jesus, knowing that these men were going to scatter in a matter of hours, wanted them to hear these words and and more importantly to allow these words to, to be their source of strength. And so kind of pulling all of this together in this section, love one another as I've loved you. Trust God, trust me. You know the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You'll do greater things than I. If you love me, you'll obey me. You'll, I'll leave you the Holy Spirit. Remain in me. Remain in me. Remain in me no matter what. This was the message for them. Can't you see how this would be appropriate for us today? I, I, I hesitate to point at the direction of our world. But if things continue to go the way they're going to go, we need these words of hope. We need this strength in our souls. We do. This leads to our final thought. The one who loves Jesus will rejoice in him. John chapter 16. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, meaning that he was going away. Are you asking one another What I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and after a little while you will see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I, see you, I, I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Something would change in these men. Something would change. I, I mean, think about it for a few moments. In just a few short hours, every one of them, except, except John, was going to scatter. They're going to run. Peter's going to deny Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. And they're going to cower away from what they've been following or who they've been following. And these words would ring in their ears, right? They would hear Jesus saying these things, but something else was going to happen. And you know what that something else was going to happen? It was this. Jesus was alive. Jesus was dead, and Jesus was alive again. And once Jesus was alive again, as Jesus said, your mourning will turn into joy. They're not going to be able to take this joy away from you. These very men who scattered and ran and hid and denied would be the ones that would stand up and speak Christ. They would be the ones that would be responsible for us being here today because their mourning was turned into joy. The resurrection of Christ would change everything for them. Earlier in the gospel account, he gave them this promise, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. In these words, along with the fact that Jesus was alive, he was dead, and he was alive again, gave these guys a source of joy that would help them to go out into the world no matter what. No matter what. Okay, you want to arrest us and beat us? We'll just rejoice being, worth, being counted worthy to be beaten for the sake of the gospel. Right? You, you want to behead us, one of us? We'll just keep praying and we'll go other places. These guys would be on 
they would be obedient to his word, relying upon his spirit, and determined to abide in him no matter what. Friends, what about us? Do we have that same kind of full surrender in our faith? We live in a world wrecked by sin. And And when sickness shows up, will it drive us to Jesus? We live in a nation that is becoming increasingly hostile toward Christianity. And persecution, it's not been at the level where it is other places. And I don't want us to bellyache and bemoan like we're being treated like other people are, but it could be coming. And when persecution knocks on our door, will we trust Jesus? Will we trust him? The other night at the bean dinner, Jim Book shared a story that, or a, uh, a writing that I had never heard, and so I looked it up. And, and it turns out that the author of the, the writing that he shared, or the words that he shared, was a, a Rwandan man in 1980 who was forced by his tribe to either renounce Christ or face certain death. And he refused to announce, renounce Christ and was killed on the spot. The night before, it's believed that he wrote these words of commitment because they were found in his room, and it's called The, the Fellowship of the Unashamed. Bob Moorhead had written this in his book uh, about words aptly spoken. And here's the fellowship of the unashamed. And think about this in terms of what we have to face in this world. And the promise, if you love me, you obey me. The one who loves Christ will obey him. The one who loves Christ will receive his spirit. The one who loves Christ will, will abide in him. And ultimately, the one who loves Christ will rejoice no matter what. Listen to what this Rwandan man wrote. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear, I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not finch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he won't have no problem recognizing me. My colors are clear. See, friends, the one who loves obeys, receives and walks in the Holy Spirit, abides in Christ, and will ultimately rejoice. Jesus closed. What I'm saying this section is in verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Can you see how much more important how those words Jesus spoke? Trust God. Trust me. So friend, how, friends, how was your examination? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for the love you give us in Christ and the opportunity we have today to sing songs of praise, to, to have communion, to, to give, and Lord, to be in your word.
Each time we come to your word, Lord, we're just unworthy. Servants seeking to know more about our master. We bring our faults and our failures to you, Lord, surrendering them to you. God, may your word be our guide. And as we've seen from this today, this idea of just whatever the future holds, whatever it holds, we know the one who loves you will obey. The one who loves you has your spirit. The one who loves you is walking and abiding in you. And ultimately, Lord, we'll rejoice. We're rejoicing you no matter what. So, Lord, I pray that's true of each of us in this room this morning. I pray that we can walk out of here with that hope. And if not, if that's a decision that we need to make, that we indeed do make that decision to declare Christ as Lord. Understanding, Lord, understanding, Lord, that that faith is full surrender. We might not fully grasp what that means now, but each day as we put ourselves in a position to grow, we'll be made more and more into the image of your Son, and, and we'll see it as days and weeks and years pass by. But help us, Lord, right now in this moment to say, I surrender. I surrender to you. Whether we be a follower of Christ that needs to make that decision again or somebody anew, Lord. I give up. I give up trying to do it my way. I'm trying to trust in the things that I see. I want to trust you. I'm going to trust the Father. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So do you have that peace this morning? If not, and you want to talk about what it means to give your life to Christ, I'd love to meet you down here in front and talk as, uh, as we stand and sing our song of invitation. Let's stand together.